so what? So what if God chose you before the foundation of the world to be adopted as his child? So what that at the beginning he made you in his image, unique above all species? So what in the past God entered into a covenant binding himself to be your God and you to be his people? So what in the fullness of time God became a person up close and personal and lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die? So what if he rose again and is seated in the heavenly realms ruling the universe? If he did not pour out his Holy Spirit on us, then the whole thing would be a complete, total and utter waste of time. You and I would not be here. We're going to focus in on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. God is one, three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, Each equal, each person, each distinct in their roles. The Father initiates the the plan of salvation. The Son executes the plan of salvation, ironically by being executed. The Spirit applies the plan of salvation, makes it real to us. And uh, to, uh, to those of you who haven't quite yet hooked up to Jesus and uh, he's not your Lord and you're sort of not yet, you're just checking him out, this is a good day to be here because it's a remind, you're going to be reminded that the Bible is not offering you religion. I can't stand religion. Uh, God is not going to abandon you to a series of do's and don'ts. The message is not try a little bit harder and maybe you'll get there. The message is firstly... God has come in person through his son to clear the debt between us and God. And it was a big debt. It's why Romans 8 begins with one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Romans 8 verse 1. Can you see it there? Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Can you, can you feel the approval? No judgment. Nothing to fear. The future is clear and certain. Secondly, God sent his spirit, and that's what we're going to look at today, to empower us to be the people he wants us to be and what we want to be, to dwell within us and to adopt us as his children. But for those of you who are already united with Christ, but you're starting to give up on the battle with sin, you know those recurring sins? And you're tired of the failures. And you think, have I done it again? Can he put up with the crap that I keep issuing forth? My prayer is that you will get back into this fight club we call Christianity. Because the battle is just normal. And the battle is not alone. And he doesn't want you to journey in that battle alone. And he doesn't want you to battle in fear. But knowing God is your father. So point one. Let's look at the power of the Holy Spirit. You know how powerful the Spirit of God is when you realise what he had to work with, which is us. Um, In Romans 5 to 8, there's a real contrast between those in the Spirit and those in the flesh. Let me read to you verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You can divide the world in lots of ways, male, female, gay, straight, rich, poor, those who are Maltese, those who want to be Maltese. I always issue that. It's a joke. But 
But what the Bible does, it divides the world into two categories. You're either in the flesh, that is, left to a nature you were born with and inherited, or you're in the spirit, given a new nature with a new mindset, a new passion, new loves. A person is either in one sphere of existence or the other. It's kind of, and it's kind of like being pregnant. You, you kind of can't be half pregnant. You can't be half in the flesh and half in the spirit. And there's a consequence in being in one of two realms. So Paul plays it out in verse 6, Romans 8 verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's really kind of blunt language. Let's ponder the mindset of the flesh. The world, the sphere in which the nature that basically hasn't yet been touched by the Spirit of God. It's described as being dead, spiritually dead, resulting in physical death, culminating in the second death, a Christless eternity. It's, I know it's not easy to hear this. It's not passive rebellion. It's quite hostile to God in its own passive-aggressive way. So Christ is described as dying for us while we were enemies. And it's not that we just don't submit to God's law. We, we cannot. There's a, there's a powerlessness to it. Um, without the Spirit, we can't submit to God. It's like we're born bent, broken, and hell-bent against God in our own cute little way. The mindset set on the flesh can't please God. So all of a sudden you just go, oh, that's right, it's personal. It's not like we just break his laws, these kind of abstract expectations. We actually break his heart. Even in the home, in, even in, in the home of sincere religion, there's this kind of resistance to want to please God. So we refashion God in ways that pleases us. The great hope of the Western world has been education. It's done a lot of good. But at the heart, it hasn't really dealt with human nature. Uh, and the evidence of that, I don't think is, say, the fact that maybe 60% of web traffic every day is connected with porn and sex. I don't think that's the evidence that our heart hasn't changed. I think it's the fact that as a society, we've allowed the fact that 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds having internet access visit porn online on a regular basis. That's the statistic that breaks my heart. That the average exposure to porn now is about 11 years of age. And somehow, really, we're okay with that. The heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Mine and yours. And trying hard is not going to solve the problem. But wait a minute. I know lots of lovely people who are much better human beings than I am who don't have the Holy Spirit because they're not interested in Jesus at all. How do you make sense of that reality? Well, partly, Christianity is about grace. It's not about obedience. But uh, if I put it this way, I'll try to use this, explain, explain, this example to explain how it's possible to perform a series of good things and yet still be in the flesh. Imagine I'm married to Sandy. We've been married for 30 years. Imagine if I was the ideal husband. If Sandy was here, she might have to really work hard at imagining that. But, you know, I made a breakfast in bed every day. I, I spoke her language of love, which happens to be acts of service. 
which is a real downer. You can't fake that one. You can fake gifts. You can fake words of encouragement, but man, it is hard to fake acts of service. I mean, I've got to spend a whole day in the backyard mowing and waiting for her to feel loved. I tell you, it's a tough gig. But imagine I was really good at it. Imagine I was a, an attentive listener and I could not come up with solutions as a husband is inclined to do, but just sit with her in the pain of life. Oh, And she could testify that I was an amazing husband. Yet, through the 30 years of our marriage, I've been conducting an illicit adulterous relationship. The moment she knows that, my good works will count for nothing. And I am her enemy. Good works outside of a faithful relationship with Jesus count ultimately for nothing. And I am his enemy until such time as I confess and come to him. Those controlled by the Spirit, there's two words to use to describe it in verse 6. Life and peace. What sociologists and social engineers couldn't pull off, God did. It's the power of the Spirit that can change anyone. That's why the phrase, oh, they'll never change, especially if you've been in a long-term difficult relationship. That phrase, they will never change, that can never be on a Christian's lips. If you've seen the power of the Spirit in your life, you know that he can do anything in anyone's heart. So giving up on people, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, is another way of giving up on God and the power of his Spirit. That's why we hang in. We hang in in difficult marriages. We hang in in difficult relationships because of the power of the Spirit. That's my first point. Second point, the presence of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit's one thing. Fantastic. But the presence of the Spirit, ah, now that's another. See, God's Spirit isn't simply saying, just passing, sort of drop in and kickstart your Christian life until you get going with God. He's come to make his home with you. And he is a he, you know that, don't you? I mean, I'm grateful that Matt prayed, recognising the Holy Spirit as a person and not a source of power like the force be with you. He is a person who can be grieved. God has come in person to make your body his home. That what was said of the temple in the Old Testament is said of you. He's made you his home. He's as intimate as being in me. He can't be any closer to me and you as being in you, not just amongst us. He comes to make his home and it's for keeps. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. In this verse and in the verses that follow, there's this kind of Paul keeps flipping and one moment we're in the Spirit, the next minute the Spirit's in us, the next minute Christ is in us, we're in Christ. And because he's actually referring to the same reality from different perspectives. But the bottom line is really, behind all of that is this, you can't belong to Christ and not have the Spirit. And if you've got the Spirit, you belong to Christ. That's pretty much the point. And that really knocks two errors. I'll just say that again. You... You can't have the Spirit and not have Christ. You can't have Christ and not have the Spirit. Have one, you've got them both. In fact, you've got God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what this does is it, it knocks three, two errors on the head. 
One area is kind of like a spiritless Christianity. Uh, there are those who, who will say that it's possible to believe in Jesus, submit to him, and yet have missed out on the spirit. Uh, you, you couldn't work that out from Romans 8. If you have Christ, you have the spirit. Now, I'm not denying there's an ongoing renewing work of the spirit and constant need to be filled. No problem. But I'm telling you, it's the very nature of the spirit that takes you to the foot of the cross. If you've come to Jesus... The only way you got there is by the Spirit. Remember, early on Paul said, without the Spirit, we're not only, we not only will not please God, we cannot please Him. There's a sense where God's Spirit needs to come into me and enable me to finally love the things that He loves. Okay, that's the first error, spiritless Christianity. The other error is a Christless spirituality. Uh, it's, in, it's quite common, and it's probably I understand where it comes from, that you know, the, the kind of mantra of our age is, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. And I kind of get it, given the way religion, including Christian religions, behaved. But you can't be truly, Christ, uh, truly spiritual and ignore the claim of Christ, because it's the very nature of the Spirit who actually takes you to Christ. He is the Spirit of Jesus. He's so jealous for Jesus that you know he's at work because he's like he, he comes behind you and puts his arm over your shoulder and he's got that pointer that says, there is the Son, the creator of the universe, the reason why you exist. To have the Spirit is to have Christ and to have the Spirit is to have life. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life. The Spirit gives life. You've come to Jesus. You know something happened that was quite miraculous. It might have happened in an instant, say in my case, at the Hotel Bondi. It was as black and white as one moment I wasn't and then I was. Or it might have happened progressively from your mother's knee. However it happened, um, the God has come into your life via his spirit and something happened. And the clue that you have the spirit is captured in a sentence that really spoke to me. So I'm going to, it's on the screen now. And it's this. This is the clue that you've got the spirit. It pleases us to please him. And that's very simple, but that's the clue that you've got the spirit. It pleases us to please him. Not to earn his merit so you can get to heaven. No, that's already been secured by the death of Jesus. No, it's that it actually gives me joy to give him joy. I love the fact that I can make him happy by my obedient choices. It pleases me to please him. Not perfectly. You're thinking, well, that's not true all the time. Yeah, there's a thing called the pleasures of sin. But there's a sense where the best part of me and you that's being worked over by the Spirit wants to give our best to God. And if, if you can't identify with that sentence in any way, well, this is a good day for you because you've worked out, heck, I don't think I've got the spirit. And if you don't, ask, and he gives. That's why I've always loved that phrase. I'm not sure the, the origin of it. I think it might be from AA, but, um, but here it is. It's on the screen. I may not be what you want me to be, and I may not be what I want to be, but I know I'm not what I used to be. 
And the, the reason why I love that phrase, and I often use it, is because it captures two realities for the Christian. The one is, we haven't arrived yet. I know I'm not what I want to be, and I know what, I, what you want me to be, and I know I'm not what God wants me to be. You know, the way I conduct my life, I'm forever saying sorry. You know, I'm a work in progress, but I'm not what I used to be. There has been a work of God in my life, and, I, and that needs to be recognised. Now, if you've grown up kind of not knowing anything but Jesus, and you're in that category... Just keep thinking, if God were to withdraw his spirit from you, you would not be the same person. I may not be what I want to be. Actually, why don't you say it with me? I love the phrase. kind of does us good to get out there. Okay. You want, to, you want to say it with me? I may not be what you want me to be. I may not be what I want to be, but I know that I'm not what I used to be. That's the work of the spirit. So, you know, um, a former principal of Moore College, I mean former like, 50 years ago, uh, a guy by the name of T.C. Hammond, he was an Irish missionary. He, uh, at the end of every day, he would, um, he would kind of remember how the day went and recognise where he didn't love God properly, didn't love others and confess it. But what he, what he then would do, which we don't do, is he would remember the things that did please God that he did that day. And he would remember them, not to get self-righteous about it, but to think, God, if it weren't for the Spirit of God, that couldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened. So I just want to thank you for being at work in my life. And I love that. Because what often happens is, well, sorry, why that's good, because it actually gives God the glory of the work that he's been doing in your life. But there's a tension. There's a tension you and I know that on the one hand, I have come alive to God. The Spirit has made me alive to him. I actually do want to please him. But it sits in this body of sin that, that basically doesn't want to. There, there's kind of this war going on. And that tension won't get resolved until finally the Spirit of God will raise your body and you, you will have no other inclination other than the inclination to, to please God 24-7. Which means we've got a debt to the Spirit of God that's going to raise us up on the last day and give us a desires that uh, we don't naturally have. Verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So how do you know you're a child of God? How do you know you're led by the Spirit? See that verse there? You'll be engaged, you'll join the fight club against sin. See the phrase, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. See, what's... What's the most common adjective for the spirit in the Bible? What's the most common adjective? He's the what spirit? Holy Spirit. And we've kind of got an obligation to let him live up to his name as he does his thing in us. Friends, there's a war. And you need to see the Christian life as a battlefield. There's no citizens in this battle. There's just soldiers and we've got a commander-in-chief, and he's the Lord Jesus. The enemy is sin, that force which opposes everything that pleases God. And we're under instruction, and the instruction is clear. Assassinate sin. You know, what did Jesus say? If your hand caused you to sin, get a manicure? No, cut it off. Take a ruthless approach. There's a conscious battlefield that we engage in. And it happens till the day we die and get given new desires and a new body. And, and so it's not that just you battle with kind of like the obvious ones, 
porn, anger. I'm talking about the kind of the respectable sins. That's how Jerry Bridges described it in his book. You know, like grumbling and thanklessness and seeing yourself as a perpetual victim. It's everyone else's fault but mine. Where apologies never leave your lips. Or it could be the fact that I don't care if the bulk of Sydney are heading for a crisis eternity. That lack of zeal. It's so often it's not the things I do that I reckon I need to confess. It's the things I don't do. You know, the sort of the Good Samaritan sins, you know, uh, where the, the two guys before him walked past that need and just didn't care. So I, I need to often confess a lack of zeal in my heart. And as you engage in the misdeeds of the body, as you engage in the battle with sin, as you seek to assassinate sin and put out a contract out on it, you've got to understand two truths. Otherwise, you go nuts. Truth number one is God does not expect you to do it without his spirit. Okay? You're not going alone. Secondly, God will not do it without your involvement. There is no let go and let God, not in that sense. Um, that's why in any given congregation, there are those who are more mature than others. Because there are those who have actually sought to take up the cooperative work of becoming more like Christ. And there are those who are doing it less than they order on any given day and week in life. So you've just got to work out who you want to be. Do I want to get involved in this battle and take it seriously? But for those of you who think, oh man, I have failed too much. I am sick of confessing the same sin for the five billionth time. Hear the call of the Spirit. He's whispering. He's not shouting. He's the gentle member of the Trinity. He's whispering and saying, come on, get up. Get up from the, uh, from, from the floor. Put on those gloves. It's time to get into that battle one more time. But the battle, it happens from inside the family. And if you don't get this piece of the puzzle right, it will be oppressive. Because the battle with sin happens from inside the family. Point three, the privileges of the Spirit. Verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the fact that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that's a great thing. But getting adopted into God's family, mm -mm, that's much better. That's where that story ends, adoption. I know adoption gets bad press. Partly it's because we don't know what the alternative is. And the alternative, of course, is death. That's how you need to see it. Um, I'm going to use an abortion story. So if you've been involved in an abortion, male or female, know that if you come to Christ... The slate is clean. There's no condemnation, okay? So don't get hijacked with a kind of unnecessary guilt. It's over. The, the sin, like every other sin, is being dealt with. Now, I remember this person um, who uh, had given up her child. Uh, um, she was 15. She got pregnant. It was during the 50s. It was, you know, there was a lot of kind of pressure to, to sort of not keep the child. And so she gave the child up for adoption. She chose not to have an abortion. She gave up a child. Anyway, 30 years later, there's a beautiful reunion, mother and child. And the, and the daughter said to her mother, the first thing she said to her mother when she laid eyes on her was, Mom, thank you for not aborting me. Because she knew what the alternative was. She knew the pressure that that mother had to, to abort that child. 
You only appreciate adoption when you understand what the alternative is. It is a beautiful thing. Every per- the privilege of being led by the Spirit is that it's as though the Spirit in you is like your adoption papers. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. It's one thing for the guilty to be acquitted. That's good. But it's quite another to be adopted into God's family with the judge of all the earth as your dad. So the call to put to death. Now, what's this got to do with anything? Because as you battle with sin, and we're always battling with it, you've got to understand it happens from inside the family where the judge of all the earth is your dad. We don't battle in the context of fear. I don't think that when I sin today, and I'm going to sin a number of times, I'm guaranteed. There's someone who I'm going to have to apologise to for something. I'm guaranteed. In fact, I start every day now because I've got a, a public problem with anger. And so I've got my assistant pastor now. At the, end of every, at the beginning of every Sunday, I've asked him to pray for me. And uh, every day I've got this little um, calendar message that comes up. Don't be grumpy today, Ray. Um, because it's an old man's thing and it's getting worse. So I'm really trying to engage in the battle. But as I fail, as I do sometimes, I've got to remember fear is not my concern. With our sin already punished, there is no condemnation. I'm inside the family. God's become my dad. See, it wasn't new for Israel to think of God as their father, as a nation. And it wasn't surprising that Jesus would call His eternal father, dad. The mind-blowing truth here is this, that what you got to call your earthly father is what you get to call dad. I don't know what that intimate word is. For a Jew growing up, he would have called his dad Abba. Not the Swedish band. Move that to the side. Abba. For me, it was da. Maltese, that's how, depending on what culture you're from, ta, pa, Baba, whatever, whatever that intimate language for your father was growing up, if you had a half-decent father, <laughs> that's the word that Abba is referring to, Dad. Now, you can say that, and I, I remember hearing that being taught, but I remember as a young Christian praying with another young Christian who'd lost his dad early on in an accident, in a boating accident. And in the prayer, he, he prayed, Dear Dad, and oh, I hated it. Dear Dad, it sounded cringy, corny, seemed too intimate. Dear Dad. Well, I was wrong and he was right. That was his God-given right, wasn't it? To call the judge of all the earth, Dad. Duh. And God wants you to know that you're his child. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't it interesting? In the context of crying out, Abba, Father, the next verse then says, the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. Now that probably explains something you know something of. You know when you stop praying, how you kind of feel the absence of God? And he seems more distant. It's not that he's actually distant, but your experience of him is distant. In the very act of crying out, Dad, in the very act of approaching God as Father in your prayer, the Spirit of God is testifying that you are his child. What I'm saying is, that's why when you stop praying as a habit, (laughs) 
and kind of just live off plans on the run and fail to make space and give him your undivided attention. It kind of, God feels kind of far away. It's not that he's actually far away, but your perception of it is. So can I encourage you to keep getting back in and creating space for you and God, as much for your sake as his? Well, to pray in the Spirit is to pray to God as Father. And it's interesting. He testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. He doesn't testify to my spirit that you're a child of God. That probably explains why the same, I can't have the same level of certainty about my walk with Jesus as I do of yours. Look, you won't be the first person who marries someone who's a Christian. They come to church, they come to anger, pray, confess Jesus as their Lord, then two months, two years, 22 years later, come to you and say, actually, I'm no longer a Christian anymore. What? Because you can't quite have the same level of certitude about someone else's walk with Jesus as you do of your own. The Spirit of God testifies to your spirit that you're a child of God. And as sons of God, and that's kind of male and female, because in this culture, the son's got all the inheritance, right? This is one of the, it's one of those things, you know, as Christians, we've got to do a gender bender thing. So every male's got to understand that he's part of the church, which is a feminine image. And every woman's got to see themselves as a son of God, which is the masculine image. So we're all kind of crossing gender at that point. Uh, but stay with the image. As sons of God, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, the pathway of the Messiah is the pathway of the Messiah's people. He denied himself, took up his cross, so do we. But I just want to focus in on the fact that we are co-heirs with Christ. That's about inheritance. You know that thing that you know about, that when mum and dad pass away, you're getting it, or a portion of it? That's called inheritance. And it's not the sort of conversation you want to have while they're alive, I know, but it's at the back of your mind. You're probably thinking it's the only way I'm ever going to be able to buy a house. <laughs> Jesus said, the meek, finish the sentence with me, the meek will inherit the earth. Not this sucker, a new earth. Then Revelation, Jesus says to the church that repents, I'll give you the right to sit on the throne with me. It's amazing. One moment we're worshipping Jesus in Revelation with him on the throne. The next minute he's saying, come up here. I want you to sit right next to me. Co-heirs with... The language is extravagant. It is outrageous. Don't stress, friends, if you fail to buy something before the last housing boom. I, I know you're thinking, oh, should have bought two years ago. Because there is a new creation awaiting you. Years ago, uh, and I'll finish with this story, years ago, the Christmas, uh, just before Christmas, the federal governor general had invited um, a whole lot of homeless kids into the house of the governor general. It's basically a palace. And these kids were, one of these kids was interviewed. Now remember, these kids, homeless, lived in cardboard boxes in alleyways, um, for about half a day were invited into the palatial accommodation of the governor general. And the, one of the kids was interviewed and he just talked about how amazing the house was, how big and beautiful. And the, and the food that was prepared by a chef was just over the top and it was a banquet. And you could tell he was so excited. He'd never experienced anything. And he said, there's a swimming pool and he let me swim it. In fact, the Governor General lent me his swimming togs so I could swim in the water. 
And he was just so excited. And the, the interview, I think, got caught up in the excitement. And he said, could you wish for any more? And quick as a flash, he said, yeah, I wish he would adopt me. I wish he would adopt me. Because adoption makes it all yours for all time. That's what the Spirit of God does. Adopt you into this family where the judge of the earth is your dad. Well, friends, let me just close by saying a couple of things. This is the great privilege of being united with Christ. If you want this to be yours, you've discovered, heck, this is not my reality, and I want it. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Then why don't you, why don't you accept the hand of Jesus I pray this prayer? And uh, we're going to transition now to the Lord's Supper, and on your right and your left, uh, there's going to be bread and grape juice that reminds us of the body and blood of Christ that was spilled for you, making this relationship possible. Then come and receive during the songs that follow as we praise our God. And as you eat the bread, as you dip it into the grape juice, I want you to, I want you to think, because of Christ's death for me, I get to call the judge of the earth, Dad, and thank him in the quietness of your heart. Let's pray. Dear Father, regardless of how our earthly fathers treated us, we praise you for being our perfect and loving dad. You gave us your only son who died for us while we were enemies. And if your total forgiveness was not enough, you adopted us into your family. We get to call the judge of all the earth, Dad. And if that wasn't enough, your spirit has given us life, which means it really does please us to please you. And Dad, we thank you that every, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. So may this truth inspire praise from our lips, assurance in our souls, obedience in our walk and a renewed confidence to re-enter the war against sin for we may be your sons and daughters but we are also soldiers and we are not giving up in jesus powerful name amen